Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bookish Babbles, the podcast where we reread our favorite books and chat about them. I'm your host, Allison, and without further ado, let's get started. everyone and welcome to episode 44 of bookish babbles today we are talking about chapters 22 to 24 of mockingjay by suzanne collins and i am really not ready and i know i've been saying that a lot lately but i really mean it this time because we have to cover two things i've been dreading the most and i dread it every time i read this or watch the movie and i clearly didn't plan this very well i forgot how quickly things happen at the end of this book i thought we'd at least you know have we wouldn't have to deal with these two moments at the same time like like on different weeks but no we have to do this at once because because you know i've already established my three chapters a week pattern and there's no going back anyway uh any other random life updates i have while i procrastinate oh i saw a phantom of the opera guys I went to New York and saw a fan with the opera before it closed. It was amazing. Um, excuse me. I'm currently um editing a vlog, a very long vlog, cause um, let's just say the vlog didn't go as I originally intended. It ended up being a New York slash other stuff to do vlog. So be on the lookout for that on my YouTube channel. <laughs> um, anyway. I'm currently reading uh, Ruinous Fate for my uh, book club. Uh, I'm still on Chain of Iron because I'm, you know, clearly putting off the pain of Chain of Thorns. And also, again, my book club book kind of started eating away my reading time. But anyway, um, I actually don't have a ton of time to record uh, because uh, uh, I always record my grandparents' basement. But I know my brother's going to take over in about an hour because he needs to uh exercise down here basically the downstairs at my grandparents house has turned into my brother's gym and my library slash second bedroom because there's an extra bed down here for when my cousin comes to stay and i've fallen asleep down here many times especially lately when i stay up late working on the podcast so because i can't procrastinate too much oh well got my cup of tea i ran away from my grandmother when she told me i looked pregnant in the dress i'm wearing that <laughs> i wore to work today so that's wonderful that information's on the internet now okay <sighs> let's do this okay so last week uh katniss took over the squad and is now leading them on a mission to assassinate snow uh after boggs and a couple others uh unfortunately die um the world now believes that the star squad is dead so it buys them some time and in order to avoid pods they're now traveling underground including through the sewers which is you know gross and something is now hunting them in the sewers so even better uh this week the star squad fights off the new mutts and not everyone makes it out we reunite with um, someone we haven't seen in a hot minute, and Katniss finally approaches Snow's mansion, and her mission is a complete success, and everything works out, and everything is fine. Pray for me, everyone. Okay, let's get into chapter 22. Okay, so as Katniss puts it, uh, the grace period has ended because apparently Snow got impatient and probably set, sent uh, people to look for the bodies of the Star Squad sooner than he said he would. Uh, either way, the mutts are now loose in the sewers and hell-bent on finding Katniss, and even Pete is whispering her name. Kind of creepy. And I'm not even going to think about how the fuck Pete seems to have some kind of psychic link to these mutts. I don't know, maybe something to do with the whole tracker jacker hijacking? I, I don't know. Either way, Katniss is rightfully freaked out and does think about shooting him because she's worried he's, you know, about to attack her. Much like how right before taking out the berries at the end of their first games, Katniss was ready to attack Peta, thinking he was gonna, I don't know, stab her first or something. But of course he wasn't going to. He gets up and tells Katniss to run, much like... Okay, I was interrupted. Uh, Brady came to exercise much sooner than expected. So, 
I have no idea where I left off. <clears throat> it's fun. Uh, but it's good. I read more of my book, so. And ate some scallops Bubba gave me, so it's all good. Um, where were we? Oh, yeah. Uh, Peta waking up, telling Katniss to run. Uh, uh, anyway, so Katniss, after, you know, Peta gets up and is like, Hey, Katniss, run, save herself. Katniss comes to the very logical conclusion that she does not, in fact, have to shoot Peta. Uh, that he is very much on her side, and the group gets ready to take off. And Katniss, being who she is, tells the others that, you know, now may be a good time to split up, uh, because it sounds like the mutts are only after her, but everyone else protests, of course. Even uh, Cressida and her camera crew refuse to leave Katniss, despite the fact that they are only armed with cameras and clipboards. Finnick uh, does give his spare gun to Castor, they unload the blanks from Peter's gun, uh, fill it with real bullets, and then give it to Pollux. And Gale and Katniss give their guns to Masala and Cressida, since they have their bows. And, by the way, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, but even if for some reason everyone listened to Katniss and they split up, it wouldn't have made a difference, because... We'll see in a bit that the mutts, they'll, they'll just attack whoever they run into and probably won't stop until Katniss is dead. Anyway, uh, the camera crew gets the most bare minimum of bare minimum of training, which is uh, point and press trigger button, which is, you know, about the standard of gun training we get in the States anyway. So it's accurate. It's accurate because Pandem's supposed to be in the United States. <laughs> anyway, uh, so they take off. Uh, Peta's the only one without a weapon, by the way. But then again, not the most mentally stable, for one. And as we've covered in last week's episode. So as they journey, the hissing becomes more distinct, and Katniss guesses that the mutts will be tracking them by scent. And she also can't help but wonder, like, what forms these mutts will take, because between the wolf mutts from the 74th games and the monkeys in the quarter quell... We've seen some pretty interesting ones, and and we all know they will, will be freaky and scary. And by the way, I'll obviously talk about this moment more in our movie episode, but in the movie, the first time I saw it, like, the suspense of waiting for the mutts to pop out and attack, absolutely terrifying. Maybe not for everyone, but definitely for me, because I'm a wimp when it comes to horror. So anyway, uh, the goal is to try and put as much distance between them and the mutts as possible, and hopefully um, emerge above ground near Snow's mansion. Unfortunately, uh, going faster also means making more noise. And ultimately, uh, their goal does not work out. Uh, They make it about three blocks when they suddenly hear some Avoxes screaming, because let's not forget, the Star Squad aren't the only ones down here that the mutts could find, and of course... Snow wouldn't care if some Avoxes died as a result. You know, worth it as long as Katniss dies, right? And um, in a hot minute, the mutts are also going to kill some peacekeepers. You know, people who are serving the capital. Your own people, Snow. Basically, everyone is disposable. He doesn't care as long as the end goal is achieved. And much like how Gale didn't care about causing an avalanche in the nut back in District 2. Like, even after someone said, hey, Gale, some of our our own spies, our own people are down there, you'll likely kill them too. Gale was all like, no, that's fine. Hmm. Interesting, right? Anyway, uh, Katniss once again insists that she should go off alone, and everyone's like, oh, hell no, uh, move, you're wasting time, yada yada. Uh, Katniss and Pollux then start looking at the hollow to find a way out when Katniss starts gagging on something. Uh, Jackson assumes that uh, that something has that something toxic has been released into the air and tells everyone to put their masks on, but uh, Katniss is the only one affected by the smell. Why? Because it smells like Snow's roses. Which is... Just really goes to show, like, what a cruel and petty bastard Snow truly is. He he just has to rub it in, doesn't he? Fucking Snow. Um, Desperate to get away from the smell, which is obviously very triggering for her, Katniss stumbles out onto a transfer platform thing 
basically where delivery trucks can go. And Katniss then fires an explosive arrow and kills a nest full of flesh-eating rats, which I'm glad was not included in the movie. Thanks, because um, thanks to uh, 1984, the book, I now have an intense fear of rats. So thanks for that one, Orwell. <laughs> also, um, one false step will cause the ground beneath them to disintegrate and feed them to something called the meat grinder. Sweeney Todd flashbacks, anyone? Also, Finnick saves Katniss from another unmarked pod that was silent. And, like, golden light comes down from the ceiling. Insert lame joke about not going into the light here, I guess. But, um, well, Katniss was lucky enough to be saved. Masala, not so much. Um, he gets caught in the light and is frozen in place while his body is melted like candle wax. Totally not disturbing at all. Thanks for that, Suzanne. Um, everyone is, of course, shocked by this sudden and very violent death. Um, strangely, Pete is the one keeping it together and getting everyone to move. And, of course, as soon as they start to get away, they run into another problem. Because both Snow and, by extension, Suzanne, uh, refuse to chill out, I guess. Um... They barely avoid getting hit by a spray of gunfire, but it's not from a pod, but actual peacekeepers, and they outnumbered the Star Squad uh, two to one, so odds aren't looking so great. But remember, a good chunk of the original Star, Star Squad members were chosen because they're amazing shots, so they take out a good chunk of the peacekeepers. Katniss even makes the comparison that they're like fish in a barrel. Uh, and more than half the peacekeepers are dead when, uh, you know, more appear, except they aren't peacekeepers. Yeah, those are the months they were running from. And, like, the mutts are creepy, to say the least. Like, they are four-limbed, and they're the size of fully grown humans. And that's about where the resemblance stopped. Like, they, they, they're all, like, white and reptilian, and they, and, and they attack the peacekeepers and, you know, ripping them apart with their teeth, so... If they're alive or dead, I hate these mutts. They're so creepy. And um, like I said earlier, Snow doesn't seem to care if the mutts attack his own people. Like I, I can't remember if the mutts attack peacekeepers in the movie. Uh, We'll find out soon, anyway. Mockingjay Part Two is the movie I rewatched the least amount of times. Um, so once the mutts have their fill of peacekeeper, uh, they move on to chasing the Star Squad. On all fours, mind you, which just makes them even creepier, if you ask me. And I'm not sure why, but in the movie, the mutts vaguely remind me of the Demogorgon and Stranger Things. Speaking of which, I can't wait for season 5. But I'm also terrified about what's going to happen to everyone. Okay, we're talking about the Hunger Games on Stranger Things, Allison. Okay, uh, Katniss leads the squad off the platform. She then fires an arrow, setting off the meat grinder pod to uh, try and stop the mutts, but... Uh, who, who knows? Because these mutts, um, the mutts she's encountered in the past could jump pretty far. So who knows what these guys can do? Um, Katniss tells Pollux to forget the mission, find the quickest way out. No time to check the hollow. Uh, Pollux leads them to the main sewer, which, again, let's just say it's gross. Um, I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but basically it's gross, poisonous, and if you fall in, don't expect to come out. Uh, they cross a narrow, uh, low-key, slippery bridge to a ladder. That uh, That's their way out. And this is around the time when Katniss realizes that Jackson and League One are no longer with them. Uh, they had stayed behind at the grinder to hold back the mutts. Um, guess the grinder couldn't stop them entirely. Um, Katniss naturally wants to go back for them, but Holmes tells her, you know, don't waste their sacrifice and keep going. And just as he's telling her this, the mutts are in view, catching up to them. Yay. Uh, Gail shoots an explosive arrow, ripping uh, the far side of the bridge from its foundation in order to delay the mutts. Doesn't help them from, you know, throwing themselves in the foul sewer water in order to get to Katniss and the others. So everyone opens fire from there. And by the way, the mutts can be killed, but can also keep going with dozens of bullets in them, so... Yikes. And this is around the time Katniss starts to 
get a better look at the mutts. And this passage right here is um, really good. It says, um, but it's not their numbers that make my hands shake so. No mud is good. They are meant to damage you. Some take your life like the monkeys, other your reason like the tracker jackers. However, the true atrocities, the most frightening, incorporate a perverse psychological twist designed to terrify the victim. The sight of the wolf mutts with the dead tribute's eyes, the sound of the jabberjays replicating Prim's tortured screams, the smell of snow's roses mixed with the victim's blood, carried across the sewer, cutting through even this foulness, making my heart run wild, my skin turned to ice, my lungs unable to suck air. It's as if snow's breathing right in my face, telling me it's time to die. Creepy, to say the least, and... Needless to say, Katniss is uh, going a little crazy with these mutts, which is, of course, Snow's intention. Um, when a mutt sh- uh, Katniss shoots gets a little too close for comfort, her squad flings her to the ladder and orders her to climb. Uh, only person ahead of her is Pollux, which is the right decision. Always save Pollux first. Um, they make it to another platform, and there's a second ladder to climb. Uh, Katniss then helps uh, pull Pollux and Cressida up to safety, but so far, they're the only two to follow. Katniss then starts, you know, back down the ladder to help the others and accidentally kicks someone. Disappointingly, it's Gail. (sighs) Gail tells her to go, and there's no hope in helping anyone else. And right below Gail, Phoenix clinging to the ladder. So basically, if Phoenix had just gone ahead of Gail, things would have turned out different. Katniss may have been devastated, and but we all would have been happier in the long run for it. And okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read from here to the end of the chapter. God damn it! There's a human cry from below. Someone's still alive. I plead. No, Katniss, they're not coming. Says Gail. Only the mutts are. Unable to accept it, I shine the light from Cressida's gun down the shaft. Far below, I can just make out Finnick. Struggling to hang on as three mutts tear at him. As one yanks back his head to take the death bite, something bizarre happens. It's as as if I'm Finnick. Watching images of my life flash by. The mast of a bow, a silver parachute, Mags laughing, a pink sky, Beatty's triton, Annie in her wedding dress, waves breaking over rocks. Then it's over. I slide the hollow from my belt and choke out. Nightlock, nightlock, nightlock. Release it. Hunch against the wall with the others as the explosion rocks the platform and bits of mutt human flesh shoot out of the pipe and shower us. There's a clank as Pollux slams a cover over the pipe and locks in place. Pollux, Gail, Cressida, Peta, and me were all that's left. Later, the human feelings will come. Now I'm conscious of only of an animal need to keep to keep the remains of our band alive. We can't stop here. Someone comes up with a bandage. We tie it around Gail's neck. Get him to get him to his feet. Only one figure stays huddled against the wall. Peta, I say. There's no response. He has blo- has he blacked out? I crouch in front of him, pulling his cuffed hands from his face. Peta. His eyes are black like pools. The pupils dilated so that the blue irises have all but vanished. The muscles in his wrists are hard as metal. Leave me, he whispers. I can't hang on. Yes, you can, I tell him. Peter shakes his head. I'm losing it. I'll go mad like them. Like the mutts. Like a rabid beast bent on ripping my throat out. out. And here, finally here is the place. In these circumstances, I will really have to kill him. And Snow will win. Hot, bitter hatred courses through me. So Snow has won too much already today. It's a long shot. It's suicide, maybe, but I do the only thing I can think of. I lean in and kiss Peta full on the mouth. His whole body starts shuddering, but I keep my lips pressed to his until I have to come up for air. My hands slide up his wrist to clasp his. Don't let him take you from me. Peta's panting hard as he fights the nightmares raging in his head. No, I don't want to. I clench his hands to the point of pain. Stay with me. His pupils contract into pinpoints, dilate again rapidly, and then return to something resembling normalcy. Always, he murmurs. I help Peta up and address Pollux. How far to the street? He indicates it's just above us. 
I climb the last ladder and push open the lid into someone's utility room. I'm rising to my feet when a woman throws open the door. She wears a bright turquoise silk robe embroidered with exotic birds. Her magenta hair fluffed up like a cloud and decorated with gilded butterflies. Grease from the half-eaten sausage she's holding smears her lips. The expression on her face says she recognizes me. She opens her mouth to call for help. Without hesitation, I shoot her through the heart. So... A lot just happened, to say the least. Uh, Finnick, of course, just died. But at least Katniss saved him by giving him quicker death, I guess. You know, rather than just being torn apart by the mutts. And I understand, like, this is a story about war, about how bad it is, and devastating deaths are bound to happen, because they happen to people in actual war, and killing off a character like Finnick, who is so universally loved, like, it kind of makes us understand the pain. Now, now, obviously, I'm not comparing this to a real-life scenario, but... At the very least, it can help. It can help readers who've never experienced anything like this, like empathize and understand at least a little bit, and that you know some wounds from war, and some losses you don't quite ever get over, and, and I mean in this fictional scenario, yeah, Finnick is one of the fictional deaths I will never get over, and what makes it even more awful yet so real is just how quick it happens like I remember reading this book for the first time and not really realizing he was gone because it happened so fast and I already sometimes have a hard time picturing what's happening during battle scenes the first time I read a book anyway and I think it might have taken me up until the next chapter to realize wait Finnick isn't with them anymore and I also may have just been in some denial and also, don't forget, Holmes didn't make it out, and neither did Castor. So Pollux just lost his brother, someone who he's known his whole life, and who bought his freedom when he had been stuck in the sewers for five freaking years. And so, just like that, three more members of Star Squad gone, and don't forget, you know, League One and Jackson, right before that, um, had sacrificed themselves to buy the other's time. And I imagine this is a very realistic reflection on what it's like being in the heat of battle, which luckily I've never had to experience. But just just how suddenly someone can be gone, like the, the shock of it has to be insane. And, and we ended the chapter with Katniss killing someone, which was completely out of the movie, by the way. And I know because I was shocked when I read this, I had completely forgotten about it. And again, I love how the books make the Katniss a bit more of a complicated uh, gray character but we'll unpack all that and a bit more in the next chapter because it's break time and I need a moment hey guys it's me during break and I just found out that um somehow I've been out of the loop but uh, they both die at the end is getting a series adaptation on Netflix what like, I read this book around the time it first came out, and, like, look, me, me and Sarah are obsessed with it. Um, I still haven't read the prequel, though. Whoops. But, oh my god! We're getting a Netflix series adaptation. Like, ah! So, in case you're out of the loop and you didn't know, now you know. Okay, um, back to the episode. <laughs> okay, we're back. And I'm still upset. So we pick up where we left off. There is now a dead body, thanks to Katniss. Um, they look around the apartment, and as far as they can tell, no one else is home. Isn't a sign of anyone else. Um, and as nice as it would be for them to stick around and hide out in, in said nice apartment, um, they don't have time to do that. Uh, Gail is sure that the mutts could catch up to them at any moment, or you know, peacekeepers or other people could figure out where they are and Katniss uh, looks out the window and instead of seeing a um, street full of peacekeepers um, she sees a bunch of citizens and they have now made it to the part of the city that hasn't been evacuated 
Um, they don't have the hollow anymore, of course, but it's unlikely they could activate any pods with um, this many citizens. But then again, almost wouldn't put, put it past snow at this point. Um, but luckily, Cressida knows the area and tells them that they are not far from the mansion. Uh, the squad overall, not in, the, in their best shape. Uh, Gail's losing a lot of blood from the neck wound that hasn't been cleaned yet. Uh, Pete is sitting on a sofa, biting down on a pillow, un understandably going just a wee bit crazy. Um, and Pollux is understandably having a uh, mental breakdown because, remember, along with Finnick and Holmes, his brother also just died. <laughs> and Cressida's holding it together, but she's clearly exhausted and Katniss is currently fueled on hate which I understand doing things out of hate and or spite it's a powerful thing okay um so they then raid the dead woman's uh closet to find clothes to wear since you know they can't just walk out on the streets as they are kind of would be a dead giveaway um so they put on coats, wigs, hats, and makeup all in, all in an attempt to blend in. Uh, when Katniss sees uh, Peta's bloody wrist, she takes out the key to free him, but he insists that he needs to keep them on since they give him something to focus on, which he especially needs now to, in order to, you know, not slip away into an episode. So Katniss, she lets it be. And uh, luckily, since it's cold out, uh, they can layer up, help conceal their weapons better, and they also have to change shoes. Um, though the biggest challenge is, of course, somehow concealing their faces. Like, Pollux and Cressida, they run the risk of, you know, running into any old friends or acquaintances who would obviously recognize them. Um, Gail has, you know, he has a good chance of being recognized since he's known throughout Pan Am as being Katniss's cousin. And as for Katniss herself and Peta, yeah, they have the most recognizable faces in the country, so they have to put on the most makeup. And Cressida even wraps scarves around their mouths. And as soon as they make it to the streets, uh, they're met with a flurry of snow, and Katniss overhears people talking about, you know, hunger, rebels, and also her. And I imagine they don't have very nice things to say about her. Because I'm sure Snow is pushing out media that doesn't paint Katniss in the best light. And they take cover under a block when some sirens go off and an emergency report comes on the television screens. And it shows, you know, the Star Squad's faces, including, uh, like, Finnick and Castor, because um, they don't know yet who died. Uh, Cressida uh, knows somewhere they can go, but not, not ideal, but it's their best option. So they walk toward an area with some small shops. Cressida starts babbling in a high-pitched voice about, you know, how fur undergarments and how important they are in the cold weather. And what do you know? They end up at a shop with mannequins wearing furry underwear. Uh, the place doesn't look open, but Cressida marches through the front door. There are fur pelts everywhere, and they're the only people in the shop and Cressida approaches someone who's sitting in the back, um, the shop owner, and the strangest person Katniss has ever seen. And Katniss describes this person as, she's an extreme example of surgical enhancement gone wrong. For surely, not even in the capital, could they find this face attractive. And it's Tigress. I'm still sad that Finnick's gone, but I'm glad we get to see Tigress again, at least. I've missed her, because... Of course, we haven't seen her since Ballad, and clearly a lot's happened to her since. And I can, it is just so crazy reading this now because, you know, pre-Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes coming out, Tigress was a character who was kind of almost a background character. I mean, she obviously has an important job in the story here because she hides Katniss and the rest of the Star Squad survivors, you know, when they're in desperate need for a place to hide. And it gives, us a, it gives us a glimpse into the network of spies and allies Plutarch has in, in the capital. So it's good world building, but we had no idea who this person was and just how significant her helping Katniss truly is. Like, if you had told me five years ago that the tiger woman who had helped Katniss in Mockingjay was President Snow's cousin, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have said that's a crazy crackpot 
theory uh, would make an interesting fan fiction, but no way could it be canon. Well, here we are now, and uh, this is part of the reason why I'm now more inclined to believe that Greasy Say just might be Lucy Gray, because, you know, if the Tiger Lady can turn out to be a snow, then anything is possible. I also wonder, is it possible that Cressida knows who Tigress is? I mean, like, who she really is? Because Katniss, even Katniss, she recognizes Tigress since Tigress had been a famous stylist for the Hunger Games, but left when Katniss was still pretty young. But, you know, Katniss obviously doesn't know this is Snow's cousin. Otherwise, she would have a very different reaction to the whole situation. Um, So, like, did the general public in the Capitol know that the president, like, has a cousin who was a stylist for the Hunger Games? And I imagine Tigress was one of the founding stylists. Like, she did, after all, repair Lucy Gray's dress in the 10th games for interview night before stylists were even a thing and since uh Coriolanus obviously helped mold the hunger games into what they are and then uh once tigress and snow's relationship falls apart and she's essentially exiled from you know elite society do, does she just become the black sheep that no one talks about it like it probably like the relationship probably fell apart slowly because we know that Unlike Snow, like, the Hunger Games truly did did rub Tigress the wrong way. Because, unlike her cousin, I believe Tigress is, like, at her core, she's a good person. Like, despite the environment she grew up in. And, for the record, I know that when the movie comes out and we're all talking about the Hunger Games again, there's gonna, there's gonna be a subsection of people in the fandom who will be like, Oh, poor Corio, He has trauma. He's the product of his environment. It's not his fault he turned out the way he does the way he is um but you know this happens with every white boy character in any story but just remember tigress has a lot of similar trauma she also witnessed the cannibalism she grew up in the same household as corio and was also orphaned and she turned out more well adjusted like and she never did the genocide just saying um anyway a uh, bit of a tangent how do we get here? Oh, right. Um, I was wondering if Cressida maybe knew who Tigress really is. Because no doubt Plutarch does. I don't know. Maybe that's why Cressida wasn't sure if, you know, hiding out in Tigress's shop would work out. But because even though Tigress is on their side and hates Snow, like, would that loyalty stick if she knew this group was actively going to kill her cousin? Because... I mean, after all, they are still family, despite everything. Like, uh, growing up, her and Coriolanus, they were essentially siblings. And as someone with a little brother, and, you know, our age gap is similar to Tigress and Snow's, um, I'm very protective of my brother, and my first instinct is, is to look after him, you know. And sheltering people who would harm him goes against everything of who I am, um, so I can see why Cressida would maybe still have some doubts regarding Tigress. I don't know. Maybe I'll make a poll. Do you think Cressida knows Tigress is Snow's cousin? If you're listening on Spotify, you'll be able to access the poll. Uh, anyway, where were we in the book? Um, right. Uh, Cressida approaches Tigress, says her name out loud, and Katniss recognizes her as a, as a stylist from when she was young. And she wonders if Tigress had been born with that name or if she just adopted it later in life. Well, we know the answer now. Um, Katniss decides to reveal herself to Tigress. And interestingly enough, Tigress also pisses at Katniss like Buttercup does. Because I imagine Tigress is having a lot of complicated feelings right now. And I do wonder, because we know, obviously, that Snow sees a lot of Lucy Gray and Katniss. I wonder if Tigress sees any of Lucy Gray in Katniss too. I like I wonder if Tigress was also watching uh Katniss's games and thinking, okay, this is driving my cousin bad shit crazy. Uh okay. Um but either way, um Tigress ha- lets them hide in her secret basement and I just have to read the passage um and the exchange that happens between Katniss and Tigress here. Everything about the the situation screams trap. I have a moment of panic and find myself turning to Tigress, searching those tawny eyes. Why is she doing this? She's no sinna, someone willing to sacrifice herself for others. 
This woman was the embodiment of capital shallowness. She was one of the stars of the Hunger Games until... until she wasn't. So was that it then? Bitterness? Hatred? Revenge? Actually, I'm comforted by the idea. A, a need for revenge can burn long and hot, especially if every glance in the mirror reinforces it. Did Snow ban you from the games, I ask? She just stares back at me. Somewhere her tiger tail afflicts with displeasure. Because I'm going to kill him, you know? Her mouth spreads into what I take for a smile. Reassured that this isn't complete madness, I crawl through the space. Oh my god. Like, there's so much that can be read into that scene. And, like, so many ways to interpret it. Because, again, before we didn't know who Tigress was, there wasn't much to we really thought about. But now it's like, oh, that reaction... Ah, there's so much more to the scene. And I wonder, like, and I probably wonders, like, because again, it's hard to wrap my head around, like, someone you used to love so much. And now you're just okay housing people who plan on killing him. But I wonder, like, in, in her head, if Tigress has decided that, I don't know, the choreo she grew up with is just, you know, metaphorically dead to her. Because imagine that, I imagine that this is the only way she can cope with, well, everything i mean even at the end of ballad um in a way uh coriolanus has decided he's not the same person because throughout the book um the narration because it's told in third person the narration calls him coriolanus he's called coriolanus in the narration the whole time but then in the epilogue it switches to snow so symbolizing him becoming a different person so i'm guessing i think at some point like tigress maybe decided like this isn't her choreo anymore i don't know it's just fascinating to think about and also this is my headcanon as to why tigress did such extreme surgery on herself like maybe at first she did a few you know minor alterations here and there because you know it was the cool thing to do and she was a stylist something that you know something like that would be expected of her um and then, you know, as the games keep going and things keep getting worse and the cracks in her relationship with her cousin start to get bigger and, you know, he got more evil, um, she got more alterations as a way to cope. And maybe some self-hate mixed in because she hates that she's part of something like this because Katniss speculates or, because uh, Katniss speculates since maybe she took taking the alterations too far she was fired because of that but tigress was fired by snow personally um obviously you know since they are cousins it was very personal not just about her looks and i imagine that once um she and her cousins were no longer speaking and she lost her job like she tigress was feeling pretty low and then you know really went deep with the alterations I have a lot to say about Tigers, guys, because I'm invested. Like, I know people want a Finnick or a Hamish book, which I to I'm totally not opposed to, by the way. But the two characters I would love a book about are Mags and Tigress, because also, like, Tigress could have easily met Mags, because, you know, Mags won the 11th games. But I've talked about why I want a Mags book before, but imagine a book about Tigress, because last time we saw her was toward the end of Ballad. Now it's, like, 60-something years later. A lot has happened, and as much as we love the districts, I want to see more of what goes on in the capital, especially, you know, with all the secret rebels. It'd be really fascinating. Anyway, focus, Allison. Focus, Allison. There's a lot to cover today. Uh, where are we? I don't know anymore. The Hold, please. Okay, so the Star Squad is now hiding in the secret basement. Under most circumstances, when characters have a secret basement, I'd be concerned. But not in this case. Um, though I know Katniss is still feeling a bit on edge. Um, the only, because uh, you know, the only way they can be found at this point is if Tigress betrays them. And while we know Tigress can be trusted after reading Ballad, you know, plus the confidence Plutarch seems to have in her, uh, to Katniss, Tigress is a complete stranger. So I understand why she feels on edge. But again, uh, they don't have any other options. So they use the pelts down there to set up a bed for Gale because he looks like he's about to collapse because, you know, he still has a bloody neck wound. I say just leave it, but I'm sure he'll be fine. Uh, but apparently the characters don't agree with me because uh, they clean his wound and Katniss sews it. 
uh, rather reluctantly because, as we d- we've established, she doesn't do well when it comes to treating wounds and just sick people in general because she's not her mother or sister. But unfortunately for her, she's the most qualified to treat Gail's wound. Uh, once she's done, he goes right to sleep. Katniss then moves on to tend to Peta's wrist um, while Cressida and Pollock set up fur pelt beds for everyone else. And while Katniss is taking care of Peta, they have a conversation that eerily echoes um, one that they had in the cave back during their first games. So it starts with Katniss saying, You've got to keep them keep them clean. Otherwise, the infection could spread and I know what blood poisoning is, Katniss, says Peta, even if my mother isn't a healer. I'm jolted back in time to another world under another set of bandages. You said that same thing to me in the first Hunger Games. Real or not real? Real, he says. And you risked your life getting the medicine that saved me? Real, I shrug. You were the reason I was alive to do it. Was I? The comment throws him into confusion. Some shiny memory must be fighting for his attention because his body tenses as his newly bandaged wrist strain against the metal cuffs. Then all the energy saps from his body. I'm so tired, Katniss. Go to sleep, I say. Ugh, I love these two so much. Anyway, um, so Peta still insists that Katniss shackle him to one of the um, stair supports um because she can't imagine him being comfortable but he still passes out and they decide that there's no point setting up a guard and everyone goes to sleep katniss is dreaming about trying to get home to district 12 effie trinket traveling beside her i miss effie uh katniss trying to ditch her but effie insisting that they have to stick to a schedule and schedule makes no sense then again dreams rarely make any sense and somehow Katniss is more drained from that dream than her usual nightmares. Uh, when she wakes up, it's late afternoon, and Cressida is the only person awake. And after drinking some water and eating a can of beef stew, Katniss finally has a moment to digest everything that's happened. Because, you know, eight members of their squad are now dead within 24 hours. But it still doesn't quite feel real, because, you know... It feels like, you know, surely Finnick will walk in the room at any minute. And same Katniss, same. Uh, Katniss is also understandably starting to have some serious self-doubts about her decision to lead everyone on this mission. Since it was pretty impulsive and stupid. But she still is a 17-year-old girl. Like, most of us at at that age make some pretty dumb decisions in hindsight. Because our brains are not fully developed yet at that point. But uh, she was also a little low-key desperate not to go back to coin, which I think might have factored into her decision to go on this mission. Um, I mean, if Box told me with his dying breath not to go back or don't trust them, I, I-, I would probably do something desperate and impulsive too. Um, when everyone wakes up, Katniss confesses that she had been lying about the special mission. It was all a ruse. Um, there's a moment of silence before Gail's like, uh, uh, yeah, Katniss, we know. And Katniss is like, well, of course, you know, Gail, but not everyone does. And then Cressida's like, uh, Jackson totally didn't believe you, by the way. And she just trusted Boggs and he, you know, he clearly wanted Katniss to go on. And this confuses Katniss because how could Boggs know what she wanted to do? It's not like she told him, except she did. Because back in command, when she agreed to be the Mockingjay, which feels like forever ago, um, one of her conditions was to kill Snow, so Boggs knew what she wanted, and he supported her. I love him. This doesn't seem to help Katniss feel better, like, knowing that she didn't trick the rest of the squad, that they willingly went into this because, you know, complete disaster. Um, though Gail offers the point of view that the mission has been successful. After all, they've infiltrated enemy camp, showing that the capital's not invincible, that the defenses can be breached, and thrown the city into a little bit of chaos trying to find them. And Plutarch is likely very thrilled, because this all makes great TV. And, uh, Crescent and Gail, they keep, they keep, you know, they keep saying a series of, like, encouragements to make her feel better, even... Even Pollux nods along, supporting what they have to say, which just really goes to show what an incredible person Pollux is, because he could easily blame 
Katniss and be bitter toward her. I mean, after all, her decision to lead them on this mission led to his brother's death, but he's still supporting her because he recognizes that Katniss isn't some malicious person and he has empathy for her. Ugh. But then um, when Peta speaks, his words actually seem to reach her. So this is what Peta says when Katniss asks for his opinion. I think you still have no idea the effect you can have. He slides his cuffs up the support and pushes himself to a sitting position. None of the people we lost were idiots. They knew what they were doing. They followed you because they believed you really could kill Snow. I don't know why his voice reaches me when no one else's can. But if he's right, and I think he is, I owe the others a debt that, I can, that can only be repaid in one way. I pull my paper map from from a pocket in my uniform and spread it out on the floor with a new resolve. Guys, even in even in the state he is in, Peter still knows exactly what to say. Even when he's in a state of questioning his reality and memories and doesn't maybe quite know Katniss the way he used to at this point, he still says the things she needs to hear the most. You can't convince me the two of them don't belong together. Ugh. And Peter was right. The others, yes, even the ones who died, they knew what they were doing. They knew the risks. Because Finnick, as much as we love him, he's still a person who can make mistakes. He had the chance to turn around and leave the squad, but he chose to go on this mission, knowing that Katniss was lying about the legitimacy of it. And he chose to take the risk despite having a wife waiting for him. Like, And also, did, did he know if she was pregnant at this point? Or if he ever knew? I know. I like to think that if Finnick knew Annie was pregnant, he he wouldn't have gone on such a risky mission. He would have done anything to make sure that he got back to her, or at the very least, would have made sure he got on the ladder before Gale. But we'll never know. Anyway, I just went on this whole tangent because I know there are people who probably blame and crucify Katniss for Finnick's death. And say that um, his death was 100% her fault. Because I've been on the internet and in fandoms long enough to know uh, the kinds of arguments that people will have. Especially toward um, uh, women characters. Um, And don't forget guys, Snow was the one who released those mutts. Uh, Gale was the one who got on the ladder before him. All this to say, like, Finnick knew what he was doing. He made his choices. Don't take his agency away from him. Like Snow tried to do many times. Anyway, um, so newly inspired by by Peta, you know, like uh, Katniss you know, takes out her paper map, tries to figure out where they are, what to do from there, with Cressida's help, of course, because she's the underrated queen of the Star Squad. Um, so they are now walking. They yeah, words. So they're now walking distance from the city circle and Snow's mansion. They're about five blocks and they don't have to worry about pods since um, they've been deactivated in the area to protect the residents. And they determine that the best thing to do is to get Snow in the open and then, you know, Katniss or someone will be able to get a clear shot. And Katniss even pitches a plan to let herself get captured and Snow would come out for it and he would want it to be as public as possible so ideally outside and they could shoot him but you know this plan gets shot down because it requires a very specific set of circumstances to happen and many things could go wrong because he could just televise it from inside the mansion like it'd still be public um and plus, you know, get, just in general, getting snow outside is rather challenging since, you know, Phoenix spilled the tea on all the people snow uh, poisoned. So he's got to be extra vigilant and paranoid because now even more people have it out for him. Um, and in a little bit, it's closing time at Tigress's shop. So she sets, so she lets them upstairs, gives them dinner. Katniss is also relieved to hear that Tigress has not contacted Plutarch is since currently there's no safe way to um gives her more time to think of a cover story to give him and coin Katniss tries to offer some of their extra food to Tigress but she but Tigress says no she doesn't eat much and even then only raw meat just like she did in ballad when she and her family had next to nothing why is this book so good at making me emotional 
Anyway, uh, when they eat dinner, they watch the Capitol News. Uh, bounties are, of course, offered for info information leading to their capture and emphasize how dangerous they are, showing them exchanging gunfire with peacekeepers. And they do tribute to the woman Katniss killed, whose name we never learn. Um, later that night, they try to brainstorm, brainstorm a plan again, but they don't come up with anything. And after going to sleep, Katniss does wake up in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. My, I spend too much time on TikTok. It's ruined my brain. Anyway, um, and Katniss overhears a conversation between uh, Peta and Gail. And, you know, I can't blame her for eavesdropping. I'd do the same thing. And also, was anyone else reminded <laughs> of that scene in Eclipse the first time they either read or watched this scene? You know, the scene where Edward, Bella, and Jacob are camping out in the mountain. And when the boys, you know, think Bella's asleep, they start having a conversation about her. Like, th- th- this gives the same energy and probably didn't help that, you know, it was at a time that at the time when I read this book for the first time, I had been previously, you know, fixating on the Twilight series. So yeah, totally gives off those vibes. Um, this is a classic YA staple tropey scene. And I have to read it now because I don't make the rules. That's just how it is. Thanks for the water, Peta says. No problem, Gail replies. I wake up ten times a night anyway. To make sure Katniss is still here, asks Peta. Something like that, Gail admits. There's a long pause before Peta speaks again. That was funny, what Tiger said about no one knowing what to do with her. Well, we never have, Gail says. They both laugh. It's so strange hearing them talk like this, almost like friends, which they're not, never have been. Although, they're not exactly enemies. She loves you, you know, says Peta. She's as good as told me after they whipped you. Don't believe it, Gail answers. The way she kissed you in the quarter quell, well, she's never kissed me like that. It was just part of the show, Peter tells him, although there's an edge of doubt in his voice. No, you won her over. Gave up everything for her. Maybe that's the only way to convince her that you love her. There's a long pause. I should have volunteered to take your place in the first games. Protected her then. You couldn't, says Peter. She'd never have forgiven you. You had to take care of her family. They matter more to her than life. Well, it won't be much won't be an issue much longer. I think it's unlikely all three of us will be alive at the end of the war, and if we are, I guess it's Katniss's problem. Who to choose? Gail yawns. We should get some sleep. Yeah, I hear Peta's handcuffs slide down the support as he settles in. I wonder how she'll make up her mind. Oh, that I do know. I can just catch Gail's last words through the layer of fur. Katniss will pick whoever she thinks she can't survive without. Anyway, um, that's the end of the conversation and the chapter, so break time. Okay, we're back. Uh, Katniss is not okay with what Gail said and is now angry at both him and Peta because uh, because of the way Gail worded that. Because she interpreted it as Gail viewing her as someone, you know, who's calculating and wouldn't think about her feelings when choosing a partner that it's all purely like, you know, cold kinking strategy or whatever. But per- personally, I'm not sure if Gail meant it that way. This is the one of the rare times I'll defend him. But... Anyway, I don't want to linger too much on the love triangle bullshit because this episode's going to be long enough as as it is. Um, so they all gather for breakfast upstairs with Tigress. They watch the news and they see Beatty interrupted the program. Uh, we see some footage of what the rebels have been up to during the invasion. Um, someone got the idea to take an abandoned car and send it rolling down the streets to set off pods so, you know, the rest of the troops can move through much more safely. And it's great, and it's a good plan, it works for a while, but of course doesn't last because the game makers um, just start manually turning pods on. But like I said, nice while it lasted. Uh, More neighborhoods in the city have to be evacuated, and the streets outside Tegris' shop are now getting pretty crowded with refugees. Uh, Most head toward the city center. Uh, Katniss notices that some are 
prepared and layered up while the more panicked ones had left their home with almost nothing but the pajamas they had been wearing. Uh, the Star Squad goes back to hiding downstairs for the day and Tigress goes out to spy slash learn more about what's going on because, you know, her face isn't currently on any uh, wanted posters. Uh, she doesn't return until about 6 o'clock, which gave Katniss and the others plenty of time to panic and worry. Uh, but it's all good. Uh, she's making them dinner. Uh, she was able to get some good food because, you know, fur underwear is a valuable thing to trade while the weather is cold. Also, people aren't exactly opening their homes to the refugees. Peacekeepers have to go door to door and basically force people to host the refugees so that, you know, no one freezes to death from sleeping outside. Uh, Snow's even um, set aside some wings in the mansion for people to stay in. Uh, even some of the local shops will have to start taking people in, you know, meaning Tigress and meaning that the Star Squad will essentially be trapped in the basement. Um, and they also need to see a story on, on the news where a crowd beats someone to death who they thought looked like PETA, which is disturbing enough, but they then find out that the young man that they killed looks nothing like PETA apart from, you know, bleached hair. So, yeah, everyone's not doing great. Um, and angry mobs, extremely dangerous. Um, this is, this is the kind of chaos I know is driving Snow insane. Um, and as they're doing the dishes, Katniss tells Gail that she plans on leaving in the morning, and he insists on going with her, of course. Uh, they decide Pollux and Cressida are good guides since they know the city, and they're sure that they can convince Peta to stay behind, you know, especially if they tell him that it'll be safer for everyone else that way. And Peta does take the news well, but he doesn't plan on hiding in the shop. He'll go out and cause a diversion if he has to and be useful that way. So in the end, they go back and forth on it. And in the end, uh, Gail gives him a nightlock pill just in case, you know, Peta needs it because he's made it very clear before he has no intentions of going back to snow uh tigress uh helps uh, dress them all the next day so they'll blend in better and in the end they look like the rest of the refugees and i 100 percent agree with Peta when he says never underestimate the power of a brilliant stylist and it makes Ty tigress smile and everyone says their goodbyes katniss unlocks Peta's cuffs and gives him a big hug mm. Katniss and Gail um, stick together as they travel through the crowd. Katniss loses sight of Peta and also Cressida and Pollux, but sticks with Gail. Hopefully Gail can see them because, you know, he's tall. Um, and uh, But Katniss does catch sight of a little girl in a yellow coat who maybe recognizes her, but that's not good. Very, very not good. And just as Katniss is starting to warn Gail about, you know, the little girl recognizing them, a gunfire suddenly everywhere. People drop to the ground. Beer chaos. Um, Katniss and Gail, they take cover behind a shoe display outside of a shop. And Katniss sees the little girl in the yellow coat, um, uh, like, crawl uh, over the body of her mother and then get shot. So, yikes, that is... A horrifying thing to picture, my god. Um uh rebels are here, I think, needless to say. Um Katniss and Gail still making their way to the mansion. Gail even kicks a peacekeeper and takes his gun. Though many citizens and refugees are caught in the crossfire of battle, which yikes, uh not good for either side. Um yeah, a pot of poisonous steam goes off, um, some kind of sound goes off in one concentrated area, and anyone who's in that area is, like, dead instantly. Katniss and Peta even play dead, uh, not Peta, Katniss and Gale even play dead among the bodies. Um, when they get up and move along, the ground starts opening up in the street, and the, let's just say you, you, you don't want to fall in. Um, after almost, but after almost falling in, Katniss manages to pull herself up and hang onto a lamppost, but she's lost track of Gale, then finds him climbing up to a door to a shop and fails to kick it open since it's locked. So she shoots the lock uh, till the door flies open, and for a moment, looks like he's good. Until he's caught by peacekeepers. So Gale's pulled inside and, you know, mouths something she can't make out, but now she's alone. So Katniss does the only thing she can do, which is to turn and run again toward the mansion 
And it's only she's running away that she realizes what Gail had been trying to say, which was, shoot me. And she failed him. It's it's fine, Katniss. He'll fail you big time in a minute. Um, But anyway, so the best hope for Gail is, you know, for the rebels to win as quickly as possible. And, you know, then they'll be they'll be forced to give up their prisoners. And hopefully Gail won't have suffered uh, too badly then. Well, hopefully for Katniss. Maybe not for me. Um, Anyway, um... (laughs) Katniss uh, makes it to the mansion and notices that a group of children are kind of like penned off close closest to the mansion and they're guarded by peacekeepers not with their families interestingly enough and not and they're not being let inside either because you know if this really was about protecting the children they would have been brought inside right away but no um they're being they're essentially being human shields now you know, pretty pretty sure this could be a war crime. That, um, you know, someone crashes into Katniss. She land land smacks up against a flagpole, and she uses the rope to climb up and avoid being trampled by the crowd. And from there, she can see the rebels closing in. And Katniss expects to see you know pods start to go off, but th- th- that's not what happens. God damn it! I have to read the end of this chapter. <sighs> A hovercraft, marked with a capital seal, materializes directly over the barricaded children. Scores of silver parachutes rain down on them. Even in this chaos, the children know what silver parachutes contain. Food, medicine, gifts. They eagerly scoop them up, frozen fingers struggling with the strings. The hovercraft vanishes. Five seconds pass, and then about 20 parachutes simultaneously explode. A wail raises from the crowd. The snow's red and littered with undersized body parts. Many of the children die immediately, but others lie in agony on the ground. Some stagger around mutely, staring at the remaining silver parachute in their hands, as if they still might have something precious inside. I can tell the peacekeepers didn't know this this was coming by the way they are yanking away the barricades, making a path to the children. Another flock of white uniforms sweeps into the opening, but these aren't peacekeepers. They're medics. Rebel medics. I know the uniforms anywhere. They swarm in among the children, wielding medical kits. First, I get a glimpse of the blonde braid down her back. Then, as she yanks off her coat to cover a wailing child, I notice the ducktail formed by her untucked shirt. I have the same reaction I did the day Effie Trinket called her name at the reaping. At least, I must go limp because I find myself at the base of the flagpole, unable to account for the last few seconds. Then I am pushing through the crowd, just as I did before, trying to shout her name above the roar. I'm almost there, almost to the barricade, when I think she hears me, because for just a moment she catches sight of me. Her lips form my name, and that's when the, sec- and that's when the rest of the parachutes go off. Yeah, if you thought I was shocked the um when I read this book for the first time and realized that Finnick had died, yet yeah, nothing prepared me for th- for this one. I mean, first of all, just all the callbacks to the first book, specifically, you know, the reaping when, you know, Prim's name gets drawn and like this eerily echoes that so much and it's almost as if it's a way of saying that, you know, Prim was always destined to die. Katniss just bought her some extra time. And like all the effort Katniss went through to keep him alive. Oh my god. It is okay. It This is sad. It's bad enough I had to go in depth with Finnick's death and everything. But okay, we'll cover this next week and just everything. Uh, the, That's gonna be a lot emotionally for me and Katniss, obviously. Anyway, um... <laughs> Pull yourself together, Allison. You're doing a podcast. Um, okay, uh, before I get too sad, um, yeah, I should wrap this up. So thank you all for listening and putting up with me and my chaos and sometimes my inability to speak, which happens. Um, <laughs> I, socials in the show notes. Um, easiest way to support is to just like and follow on whichever um, 
platform you're listening to this on. And again, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts and you leave a five-star rating, uh, not rating, well, leave a five-star rating either way, but if you leave a review, like you write a review and it's rated five stars, I will read it aloud on the show. That is always an open invitation. Um, Next week, uh, chapters 25 to 27, and then that that's the end, plus the epilogue. Oh my god, holy crap. Oh, I'm not ready, guys. I'm not okay. Is this the end of... Fuck. I think it is. Okay. Uh, words, Allison. You can do words. But thank you all so much for listening. And uh, love you. I hope you guys have a great day slash night. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye!